and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another incredible episode with a great, great guest. But before we get to him, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach, and I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, we are a combination of coaches and facilitators, and we go into organizations and try to help them with one-on-one coaching and group experiences. And we really are on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we believe labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, mindset, which we're going to get into today, and things like communication and emotional intelligence. When you talk about these competencies as being soft, it actually devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And today's guest is going to talk all about how he got stronger by working on his mental game. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachers come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase. And you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who continue to support the book, that continue to support Strong Skills. It's always an overwhelming experience to continue to get opportunities to share what I've learned and what we've learned as a team. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lastly, speaking of learning... If you learn something from today's conversation and you walk away and you say, gosh, I think I'm a little stronger mentally from today, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really does help us expand the reach of the podcast. And thanks to all of you who continue to support this podcast and these intentional performers. Let's continue sharing them with the world. Now to today's guest. Dequel Jackson is somebody who I'm familiar with. I grew up in Maryland. We're about the same age. I have a lot of friends who attended University of Maryland and were on campus at the same time as Dequel. And when you grow up in Maryland, you follow the football team and the basketball team at the University of Maryland. And Dequel was a superstar there. He had an amazing, illustrious career, won all kinds of awards. And he really outkicked expectations that were placed on him when he arrived in College Park, Maryland. And he did such a good job there that he ended up being a second-round pick in the NFL draft. And he went on to have a 10-plus career in the NFL, starting at linebacker, and really was a very, very good player. But this conversation is going to be about more than just executing as a football player. Dequell is going to be open and honest about some of the challenges he faced over his NFL career, around his identity, around his mindset, around his belief in himself. Uh, overcoming adversity and injuries. He actually sat out a full season with an injury. So this conversation is about having a vision, setting goals, being really clear about where you want to go and how you can get there, and getting help and opening yourself up to learn about yourself and think about who you are and where you want to go. So I love this conversation with Dequell. Since recording, we've spent more time with each other and gotten to know each other better, and he's just a great guy. I know you're going to love learning from him. So here is Dequell Jackson. 
Dequell, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Great to connect with you again. We were connected by Matt Friedson, so shout out to Matt for, for making the intro. But we've had on a lot of Terps, so um, we're excited to have you on here. We've had on Brownies as well. Um, so Andrew Hawkins has come on the podcast. Uh, so I think we got some of your career uh, you know, covered here, but you're also in Washington, DC, which is probably the link that I'm most excited about. And hopefully we can connect in person as well soon enough where I thought we would start is when we had our first conversation, you talked about the impact Trevor Moad had on your career and thinking about your mindset. So let's start there talk about a little bit how you got connected with Trevor and the impact he had on your career. Yeah. Um, Trevor, he, man, he was a godsend for me and the way I met Trevor, I was going through a rough time in my life. Uh, things were falling apart. I was drafted right out of right out of college. You know, things were going well. I was starting out of the gate. I was living the dream, playing in the NFL, playing for the Cleveland Browns. And probably around about year three, that's when things started to take a turn for myself. Marriage was falling apart. I, I was spending money that I thought I was going to have by signing a new contract and then boom, like most things you get injured. And for me, it wasn't just like an ankle. It wasn't just an elbow. It was, it was a torn pack, which, you know, was season ending surgery. So for me, my agency at the time, we, they had a partnership with IMG Academy and IMG Academy is in Brayton, uh, Florida. And it's where a lot of athlete, athletes go to train. Uh, a lot of young athletes, particularly, they, they live there on campus. So you live there on campus. They're big in tennis, baseball. Now football has grown over the years. So luckily for me, this was when I met Trevor. So the, the funny thing about it is if you would have told me Trevor was a therapist, a mental coach during that time, I wanted no parts of it. Absolutely no parts of it. Hey, Dequel, why not? Why would you not be interested in it? it? It just wasn't something I ever considered. And in my community and my culture and just that old school mentality of playing this, this very violent sport, I was a linebacker. It was like, I can figure everything out on my own. I wasn't, I wasn't open to receiving the help that I needed, that I didn't know I needed. So Trevor's always, so Trevor was there. He wasn't pushy at all. After workouts, we would I would have a meal plan at breakfast, dinner. He was always around. And to the point where, Brian, you start asking questions like, who is this guy? Who is this guy that's always around and has great conversation? And lo and behold, through other people and even through Trevor, they're like, well, he's here to help you. No one would call him a therapist. And when I finally asked him at breakfast one day, I'm like, okay, so tell me. We've had great conversation for weeks. Like, what, what is your role here at IMG Academy? And he flat out was like, I'm here to help. I'm here to facilitate. You have, you have dreams, you have goals, I'm here to help. Won't you come by my office? So that, another two weeks go by and I'm like, something, I woke up one day just in a, a mental just anguish or whatever it was and I, was, and I told myself, here's this car. Let me call him. Let me schedule a meeting. So I have this meeting and this meeting blew my mind. The things we talked about, the things that he questioned me about, we had a, an adult conversation, an honest conversation. And from that moment on, Trevor, he, he just convinced me that whatever I wanted out of, whether it was football, whether it was out of life, I can achieve it if you have a plan. And I was a, and he spoke the language of an athlete. And for me, I'm a planner. When I wake up in the morning, I need to know exactly what I'm doing every moment, every hour of the day. That was the life I was living, playing in the NFL, playing in college. Everything was so regimented. So we come up with a plan. And I tell you what, he asked some real questions in terms of what I wanted. And he, he challenged me. And one thing I wanted at the time was a five-year contract for $42 million and $20 million guaranteed. I was very specific, very specific. And how did you, how did you come to those numbers? So to come up with those numbers, obviously my agent and I, we did a lot of talking back and forth. And it was during the time where I was a year or two removed from 
potentially signing a big multi-year contract. So that was the number, that was the ballpark we wanted to work around. And the thinking there is that that's going to give me enough security for the rest of my life. All right. If I have 20 million guaranteed, um, you know, maybe half of that goes to the government, whatever, however you want to think about it. So I have 10 million in the bank. That's enough that, you know, I'm going to probably want to do some other things, keep playing, what, what have you, but that's enough. That'll create security for my family. Was that the thinking behind it? No doubt about it. No doubt. That was enough that, based on my play, based on changing all those things you laid out, changing the course of my family's life, that was, that was it for me. So Trevor and I, we, we wrote, we had, he had a dry eraser board and we basically just mapped out everything from the moment, you know, Monday through Sunday, every day was planned. I saw my chiropractors. I saw my massage therapist. I saw an IV woman to come in, uh, a doctor to help me with soft tissue injuries. Even, even at the time when I was divorced, I was a single man. I mapped out when I would see women. And, and, the, and the NFL during that time, and even to this day, the official day off is Tuesday. So Monday night was my night to that Trevor and I, we both mapped out. I would have, uh, I could eat whatever I wanted. I could drink, I love red wine. So it was a chance where I could, I can drink some red wine, but everything was so mapped out. And so Trevor and I, he was so impactful because no one ever, no one had ever spoken to me that way and, and given me a plan. And I was confident that based on all the people that he had worked with prior to me, guys like Fred Taylor, guys like Tiger Woods at one point, he worked with a lot of young professional athletes that were successful that made me realize I'm not the only one that's going through this. Um, and he had just the language he used was very, was very important. So for Trevor at the end, we came up with this laminate of all the things that, you know, from at the top of this peak was my contract and all the things below it was everything I needed in order to achieve this contract. And I would keep it everywhere, Brian. I would keep it on my, when I would brush my teeth in the morning, it was in front of me on my dashboard. When I would drive, I would see it. So it was subconsciously, reinforcing all the things I needed to do in order to reach this peak. And Trevor had this great saying that, and I hope I don't screw it up. He would always ask me, do you want to be great? And I'm like, absolutely. And he would always challenge me and all of his other athletes and anyone else that he worked, had worked with. If you want to be great, there are no choices. You know what you need to do, period. And that stuck with me. It still sticks with me to this day. Anything that I want out of life, anything that I, I may talk about or I want to achieve, if you want to be great at it, then you know, well, you know what? I'm going to spend the time, stay up late, dig deep into, you know, I have a podcast, dig deep into figuring out what my podcast will look like. Who are the guests that I want to represent my podcast? And I'm not going to take a day off not doing that. So uh, he challenged you in a way. He became a really great friend of mine. Uh, obviously, a lot of great athletes can talk to just how important he was to their life. There was another, I'll leave you, this This last thing I'll leave you with, with Trevor, was during that time, I had a friend of mine named Madhu Williams, who was from the country of Sierra Leone. It's in Western Africa. And he called me one day. And he's like, uh, hey, you want to come to Africa? And at the time, I'm dealing with a divorce. You know, I'm spending money that I didn't have. I'm injured. I'm feeling sorry for myself. I was not in a great place mentally. And this is during the time I was speaking with Trevor. And I tell Trevor about it. And he's like, well, let's make a pros and cons list. Let's, let's figure it out. You know, let's map it out. Let's see if it makes sense. If it, if it makes sense, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So we map it all out. And there was nothing was that was tying me from not going to this place. And it was for a good cause. My friend had built a school. He had doctors, OBGYNs, plastic surgeons, dentists, school supplies, over a million dollars worth of school supplies in his home country. And it was a great thing to do. So I ended up doing it. And I remember my, my buddy asking me, he was like, hey, you know, you can't just, you gotta, I have my passport, but we're going to Sierra Leone. This is a very, you know, third world type of country, you have to get a ton of shots. So I get like 15, 20 shots. Brian, it changed my life. Going on this trip changed my life because this was the first moment 
it was like you make decisions in your life and you look back and say, you know what? Those decisions, those two decisions I made of meeting with Trevor, going to see early on, really changed the way I looked at my life. I evaluated my life and I started making better choices after that moment. Why? Because I go to this place that doesn't have much of anything. And at the time I was feeling sorry for myself and to see little kids with no shoes and not proper clothing. And these kids had Kool-Aid smiles from cheek to cheek. Just, they didn't realize what they didn't have. And I remember the first two days being there, I broke down. I just couldn't handle it. It was just, a, I was just overwhelmed with just all type of different emotions and um, leaving that place. You know, I, I had, at that point, I had used to wear earrings. I was wearing earrings and jewelry. I got back home to the States. I got rid of all that shit. Mm-hmm. I got rid of all of it because that shit didn't matter. That was fluff. And so it really, and obviously working with Trevor, kind of opening my eyes to the, the true value of life. And, and, and you got you to gotta remember, I was probably about 24, 25 years old. I was still very much a young man trying to find his way. So... When that happened, it just, it was like a light switch that went off for me. It's like, ah, I found my purpose a bit. We call those watershed moments. So it sounds like two different watershed moments. One, your interaction with Trevor and two, going to Sierra Leone. The one thread, there's a lot of threads I could pull on, but the one that I'm most interested in is around motivation because you've got this laminate card that you're looking at that tells you, Hey, this is the goal. I'm, I want to reach this. This is the contract I'm striving for. So in psychology, we call that extrinsic motivation, but then there's this other side where Trevor's asking, do you want to be great? And you're saying, I want to be great, which is more of an intrinsic motivation. So there's a desire to fulfill my potential or be great at something for me, for my own fulfillment. And then there's a want, which is extrinsic. I want this. I want that. As you think about that combination of internal desire to be greatness and extrinsic, the contract, how would you score yourself out of 10 on each? Was, was the contract really like a 10 out of 10 and the greatness was an eight out of 10? Was it nines or sixes or how would you think about that? That's a, that's a great way of putting it and entry. Like what I wanted, I wanted to be the best. I was easily motivated. I was very self-motivated. You know, for me, it didn't take much. It was just a matter of mapping out a plan of how to do it because I didn't come from a family. I wasn't really close to my family all, you know, all that much. So it was pretty much, I felt like I was in a lone space by myself. And I think if you would have put the extrinsic uh, part of it, you know, that was, that was something I could visibly see. Right. Mm, but I was, it was tangible. It was it tangible. Was, it was something you, it was can, a goal like, you could grab. Yeah, I can grab. But inside of me, there was a lot more I could give, a lot more I could put forth. And it was just the way I was built, you know, the way I kind of deal with things. Where I'm did sorry. that come from, though, that internal drive to be great? Because you were I mean, you were a great football player. Um, you're great at Maryland. You're great in the NFL. I mean, you you, you were an impact starter. Great, great football player. What was the drive for you? internally do you know where that came from was it family was it upbringing was it just inside of you from a young age how would you how would you describe it yeah I think it's a little bit of um everything you kind of laid out I just watching my family struggle from check to check just seeing how hard they worked and and just how unfulfilled they seem to be but they poured everything into the kids the kids and the grandkids so I grew up in that type of environment. And, but I think when it boiled down to it, I didn't want to, it was very simple for me. And I realized this at a very young age. If there was an opportunity for me to better myself or be the best at something, internally, I couldn't let that opportunity pass me by. Because there were a lot of guys, if we keep it in the football realm, growing up in Florida, football is religion. And there was a ton of guys I can go down the list that was 10 times better than I ever was. But for whatever reason, it didn't pan out. So I would see all these guys, my uncle and his friends, and you hear all these football stories about all these guys that were, that didn't pan out to be, you know, reach their full potential. For me, I didn't want to miss an opportunity. For me in high school, 
obviously every kid playing football wanted to play at the next level, play at the highest level in the NFL, but not for me. For me, it was a matter of, I knew I had the skills to get a full scholarship to go to college. That was my only, that was my only thought. I can take advantage of my skills to go into a four-year college and get a college degree. Now, if football was going to be in the plans later on, so be it. But that wasn't my goal initially. I wanted to, in my mind, getting a college degree because I was around a lot of family members that were struggling check to check and, and, and didn't have college degrees, never even attempted to go to college. So for me, in my eyes, that was like making it. That was, you know, bettering myself. And because I had a lot of people that a lot of family members who sacrificed a lot for me. So you bottle all of that up. You know, I, I just didn't want to miss out on an opportunity. And once I got to yeah, once I got to college, it was the same mindset. And I just and I realized having success doing that and having that mindset was going to take me further than I'd ever imagined. Did you love football? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. My, my mom used to discipline me when I was probably seven to 10 years old, when I started playing, she wouldn't put her hands on me. You could, you, she, you know, you couldn't, you could take away a PlayStation. You can take away, I can't go to a friend's house, but if you say you're going to take away football, like you have my full attention. All right, Dequel, so you know this, and, and I've worked with Maryland football before. So I've been in, uh, I guess it's the locker room that you were in. I know that they've, they've done some renovations and stuff like that, but yeah. you know, I've sat in that locker room. I've had conversations with people and not everybody loves football that plays football at the highest levels. Right. And you know that you've been in locker rooms with guys who, yeah, no, this is a job. I'm earning this paycheck. Mm -hmm. um, but as soon as I don't need to, I'm, I'm 30 years old, I'm out. Right. Or right. heck I'm 27 years old. I mean, we see people retire early from football we don't see that in other sports as much. We don't see guys retire even like greats uh, in football. We see them retire earlier, even go back to like Jim Brown retiring at 30 years old or Barry Sanders, or um, I can name Calvin Johnson, Andrew Luck. And I know injuries also play a role, but these are people that definitely could keep playing. And I'm not suggesting that they didn't love football. They have their reasons and that that's their prerogative. But when I ask that question to football people, they don't always respond right away like you did. So sometimes I get like a brief hesitation and I hear that hesitation in other sports as well. I hear it in swimming. When I work with collegiate swimmers, I hear it in cross country runners. I hear it in rowers. I hear it in tennis players. I hear it in wrestlers. Um, all these sports are very physically demanding and emotionally challenging because the physical nature of them and the training you have to put in to get your body ready to compete in all of those sports is the juice worth the squeeze for many people. And so if they're not getting the juice and they're squeezing, that can be really, really tough for, for a lot of people. So for you being around other football players and being on teams, how much did your passion help you uh, continue to get to that next contract and have a successful career? And did you notice other people who might've just been there, you know, for the paycheck as you were on a 53 man roster or 105 in college and, and noticing those types of things? I think that's the difference. That's the difference of when you finally reach a, a, a moment, you reach college, what separates all these great college athletes that were recruited to be there from the, the rest that the 1% or 3% that go on to play at professional level. I think the passion is, is you hit it spot on. I've met a lot of guys who were physically gifted and they were so dominant because they were physically gifted. And once you reach a moment when you get to the NFL where there's a lot of parity throughout the league from a talent standpoint, what separates these guys is the passion. And you're right. A lot of guys just, I hate to say go through the motions, but they don't feel, they don't need, I felt like at one point in my life, I needed football mm. uh, for my identity. And from a very young age, I identified with football as my identity. And as I got older in the, in the National Football League, I realized like, wait a minute, I'm a lot smarter. I'm more than just football. Like I can use my talents to do this and do that and, and really branch out. But the culture of football says, you only will be great 
if you you absolutely love it and love nothing else. And so you have there's, to. Do- there's something in that that I just want to pull on, which is around identity. So I think this is doesn't get enough play. It doesn't get talked about enough. So you just hit on something. I think actually when we link our identity to our sport, it can help us. Um, because if I say I'm an exerciser, I'm going to start exercising more. If I say uh, I'm a healthy eater, uh, I'm a vegan, then I'll make more choices. So if we make it a part of our identity, it can help us in, in the short term. It can help us have the discipline. I'm a planner. So Dequel is going to plan out everything. I'm disciplined, right? You, you right. attach those things. Same thing. Hey, I'm a football player. That's what I am. I'm a baller. Like, that's what I do. That's who I am. The challenge becomes what you just started to get into is, is the other piece of it. It's the dark side of attaching your identity to something. Because all of a sudden, if you're a football player and nothing else, then who are you? And identity, I use Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski as examples, like same exact position, same team, both six foot five, six foot six, athletic freaks, good looking dudes, like seemingly have everything right. Get paid a lot of money, win Super Bowls, but who they were, were very, very different human beings. I think that much is clear. And I, once again, didn't know any, either of them, but I've watched the Aaron Hernandez documentary and I followed Robert Gronkowski's career. And so we make the mistake of thinking that who we are is what we do. Cause it's not actually the truth. And there is a benefit when we link our identity to the thing that we do, because we become obsessive and passionate and we will do whatever it takes to make sure that we continue that thing. And so for athletes or for any of us, even if we're in finance or real estate or venture capital, we need to understand, okay, yes, this is a part of my identity and I am that, but that's not all of me. And I think that's where we run into trouble when we say, Hey, this is all of who I am. And without this, I'm nothing. That is a slippery slope that can lead to all kinds of darkness and, and all kinds of issues for people. Yeah, so that's a great point. And that's one of the things Trevor kind of helped me kind of unravel. was like, hey, you're more than just a football player. You have a lot to offer. And so you play, you play that song and dance, right, as a professional football player because the outside world views you as the football player. So it, it's funny. So when I moved in D.C. in 2012, you know, I love the anonymity about this place, right? You walk into a bar, you walk into a restaurant, and people just don't assume you're a football player because, of, you know, I'm not the biggest guy in the world. I'm six feet, 235. No one, everyone assumes you work on the hill or does have some sort of profession, but not an athlete. And I love that about this place. And we and, have a large black population in Washington, right. D.C. too, right? right? If you're in maybe other cities, um, you know, and we have a large upper class black community right. in Washington, D.C. So, right. I would imagine cities like Atlanta as well, uh, maybe Miami, uh, L.A., New York. Like, I, I think there's probably certain cities, Chicago, where, where that would be the case. But, yeah, in D.C., yeah. I think one of the great things about it's a pretty diverse city. Yeah, so I would hate telling people, you know, they would ask me what I, what, what, what you do for a living. I would make stuff up because I would literally, you know, sometimes if I just got a bad vibe, I was like, yeah, I'm a, I work for the city. It's like, yeah, so you're a well-dressed city worker. You know, it's like, then you got to play that. You got to play that role a bit. But I hate it to identify. At one point in my career, I hate it to tell people what I did. Because when it, when it was the off-season, I wanted to be in the off-season. I wanted to be a normal person. Because obviously, it's a different, for people who don't know, you're a professional athlete. If you can, the, the earlier you can identify that, listen, you're living two different, you're living in two different worlds, two different realities the better off you'll be because when you're playing and you're a starter and you, people know your name in the local city where you are, they treat you, they're treating you a certain way because you, you know, you bring them joy at, at some point and they may like you one minute. They may not, they may hate you the next based on how well your team does, but you have to be able to compartmentalize those different realities. So for me, being in DC, as you mentioned, there's a, there's a huge black, uh, uh, community of middle class here where you, they don't assume you play sports. So I love that part of it. And I tried my best to, 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 to kind of create myself, create an identity outside of football because I didn't realize it. And almost until I was done, I'm like, wait, I really do. As much as I 
talked about doing other things. When I finished playing, when I retired, I didn't do much in the off season because in my mind, man, this is my moneymaker. I'm making a lot of money doing this. And I don't know how many professions that's going to pay you this exorbitant amount of money to have your focus elsewhere. So I played that battle. So I think when it boils down to it, you got to have great representation. And you see now with social media, athletes are really identifying that, you know what, if I bring my personality to the forefront, different brands want to team up with me and, and, and just showing, you're, you're seeing, um, you know, young athletes understand their, their, their wealth and, or not their wealth, so, sort of say, but their influence. Their yeah. influence and their brand brand identity. So it, it's been a, a huge shift from the culture that I grew up in as to now, but, you know, mentally, you know, that was the saving grace that really changed the landscape of my career working with Trevor. And I know I'm jumping around a bit because he really focused in on, you know, he would have sayings, you know, anytime we doubt ourselves and as professional athletes, you doubt yourself more than the average person. And because you're, you're, you're in a community where it's constantly being evaluated, you get constant, you know, um, constant evaluation every single day. When you're done with meetings, you're in the meeting room, coach is telling you whether you screwed up, whether you did well. So it's that constant reach, that constant, you know, pull for, I got to do well, I have to do well. So mentally as an athlete, you have to be able to temper that. You have to be what, 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 um, Trevor would always say, stand in a neutral place. And that's one of the tools that he gave. He, he gave me tools to be able to, to, to wipe out the negative talk because he would always say, uh, be careful what you, 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 you're saying to yourself because you're always listening. When you heard that Trevor passed away, how did that hit you? Mm. It, it, it rocked me to the core because Trevor and I, he had sent me his new book um, and I have it here. And he had sent it to me and we were supposed to reconnect and come up with a new laminate that I was going to keep on my dashboard, on my, my bathroom mirror when I brushed my teeth. And I had no idea he was sick. I had no idea. So I finished the book. We were going to connect. And now I know he was sick. And when I heard the news, I actually heard through social media and through his, his company, Limitless Minds, because he, he had worked very closely with Russell Wilson. Um, heck, the book is forwarded. He has another book, It Takes What It Takes. It's forwarded by Russell Wilson. And so I, I learned through, of his passing through um, their site, and it just rocked me to the core, because I had just talked to this guy maybe a few months prior. Why do you think he didn't, why do you think he didn't share with you that he was sick? You know, I... I I ask myself that question every day and people deal with trauma differently. And for a guy that was a very good communicator, pretty much, you know, was open about open book about his feelings and he helped so many other people get through their Trump traumatic experiences for him to go through it himself. You feel like he's helped so many people and he earned that right to deal with it at his own time and, and, and to tell the, the people that meant a lot to him. And he didn't want the sympathy. He didn't want, I don't know. I, I, you know, I go through it every single day. And again, I fall back to that was, he felt it was best for him to deal with it the way he dealt with it. So I can't challenge that because no one knows what it feels like to, to live and, and, and deal with something like cancer, uh, terminal cancer as he dealt with. Well, it's interesting because you said earlier that you were in a place of being a victim until you went to Sierra, Sierra Leone and then you saw, wow, like I, and it's not, I've got it good. Like you had perspective and maybe some gratitude when you came back and it's not lost on me that during that time, you're also talking with Trevor and I had never met Trevor. We exchanged messages. Uh, you know, you're in the sports psychology world. I knew of him certainly. Um, and Perhaps he didn't want to be a victim. Uh, perhaps he didn't want people like you're saying to sympathize for him. And he wanted to keep doing what he was doing and, and do it to the best he could. So um, just a, a theory there. 
Um, you also mentioned the divorce and, you know, it's not lost on me. It sounds like 24, 25, like that's pretty young to be married um, and really young to go through a divorce. How did that experience impact your relationship with the world? Yeah. It, you know, you, you figure, and again, my ex-wife and I, we both agreed it was the best for us because we were so young and we were growing apart. So it was, it was, it was mutual, but the way it affected me was you feel like you got it wrong. You feel like you, you know, you invest so much time and effort into something and it doesn't work out. It's exhausting. It's mentally challenging. And for a young 24, 25 year old, you're just starting out. This is a few years removed from college. I'm, I'm in another new city and things are starting to fall apart when at that age, you feel like you have the wor world at your fingertips. And so again, that was my testimony because if those things don't happen, I don't know what to look forward to. I don't have that perspective as you laid out. So for me, I don't regret anything that happened. The, the, the back to back injuries, the torn packs, uh, you know, the marriage, you know, just being in a moment where you felt like, man, I'm, I'm in a big hole and how the heck am I going to get myself out of it? And so you start to really hunker in on what you need to do every day. You need to put one foot in front of the other. Every day needs to be better than the previous day. And before you know it, you've developed the routine and you look back and it's like, oh man, I signed that five-year contract for $42 million. And it wasn't $20 million guaranteed, it was 18. So when you see the results of the hard work that you put in, now I'm hooked. Now I get it now. I figured out my way of dealing, my way of figuring out whatever it is, whether it's football, whether it's life. For me, I'm a planner. That's just what it is. I'm a planner. And if I write things down and I, I, it keeps it on the top of, top of my brain and I'm going to subconsciously do things to help myself. And so it was, it was, it was a maturing moment for me. It was a freeing moment for me, a clarifying moment for me to realize that, you know what, it took some things not to go exactly as planned in order for me to come out on the better end of things. I'm smiling because you've said over and over again, I'm a planner and I like having detailed disciplined plans. And that's why Trevor and I worked well together. And then I just heard at the end of that story, I also need to be able to be adaptable because mm -hmm. I'm going to plan, you know, the old saying, man plans and God laughs. <laughs> like you're also in a sport and you're competing and you can come in with all your cues and, and know all the reads and what they want to do. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, they might decide to throw the ball 40 times a game instead of running, you know, 30 times a game. Uh, they might put a different quarterback in or the left tackle might get hurt. And, and so things adjust or you might lose your D tackle in front of you. Like you have to be so adaptable in a sport like football. So I understand the planning part, but how did you get into a mindset that also allowed you to adjust when the plan was not working for you, when, when things were a little off kilter and not going the way that you had, you had planned for. Yeah. So Trevor and I, we had, he had created some, given me some tools to deal with the adversity piece. And he always stressed being neutral, you know, never get too high, never get too low. And he, you know, for instance, before a game, we made this highlight tape and I thought he was crazy. I'm like, we, you don't watch highlight tapes before a game. Like, what are you talking about? And he was like, it's not, it's for you to watch all the good things that you do well, right? And so when you walk into a game, your mindset is you have a positive outlook on the game. Because we all know as a competitor, you walk into a game, it's like, man, we're very, we're very, you know, very much creatures of habit, you know, very superstitious. So whatever I ate, whatever, how much sleep I got, does my body feels great? You know, you go through all these checklists of things that don't matter before you get to competition. But what Trevor was doing was helping me block out that excess noise and focus in on all the things that I was going to do well. So if adversity happened, which it was going to happen, you just go back to that replay, that film of, okay, this is what I do well. I know I may have may not have won on this play, but this is what I do well. I can go back to this clip that I've watched before each game 
uh, and just help me block out that noise and focus on the job at hand. So for me, I carry that into my wife always says, she's like, how do you have such a, you go right to the solution. You don't dwell on what's happened. If we have an issue, a family issue, and um, you know, my wife is an only child who has power of attorney over her father and grandmother, whom her father's an only child. There's a lot that goes on. We deal with caregivers. We deal with a lot of moving parts. So when things blow up in our face, there's no need to dwell it to dwell in this space. Let's look look for solutions. Let's find a, a, a an outlook. And at the end of the day, it's like, okay, are your parents taken care of? Yes. All this other stuff can be taken care of. So just deal, dealings with Trevor, he's helped me move for move move on. Move on and move past whatever issue that I may be having. And if you keep it to sports, it was it was the best method because honestly, the the in our sport, in any sport, the mental stress, everyone deals with it, whether or not they realize it or not. And then when you can have tools to deal with it, I think it just makes you a better, um, a better athlete and just better, a better person mentally. You 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 become more stable mentally. I should say that. And we can talk about mental stress or pressure to get to a level where you have security with your job and financially to get that second contract. But all right. So now you sign this five year, $42 million, 18 million guaranteed, not quite 20, but pretty damn close. Um, and for most people it'd be like, all right, 18 million, like that'd probably be enough. Um, but, but for you, what, what was your mindset? Like after, after you had secured that, I think you switched teams. Um, what was that experience like in that transition, like during your life? Yeah, it, at that point, it was proving the people that had made the decision to pay me that type of money to prove them right. And to keep proving people that, proving to my peers and the people who made that decision that they made the right decision. So for me, I was, it, it gave me more, I was throwing more wood on the fire, more, more, more of that uh, motivation to just be the best. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the best linebacker I could possibly be and also become a leader that, a team, it would be hard for a team to release me. And so we took, so at some point, two years, three years later, going into my third year of that new deal, I get released. And a lot of people in my business, when you get released from the National Football League, you hear about it, you hear about the crazy stories, you hear about it on ESPN. Or and you're how old to quell? 28? Yeah, roughly 27, 28 at the yeah. time. And so new leadership, new front office had come into Cleveland and they knew I was a, a leader of the team. I was um, one of the, aside from Joe Thomas, you know, him and myself were the longest tenure Browns at the time. So they did right by me. They, they called me, they wanted to renegotiate, restructure my, my contract and I wouldn't budge. I knew my worth. I knew for me, I was a loyal soldier to Cleveland we weren't winning many games. So, and every year I thought we could win a Super Bowl. So I was a, I was a loyal soldier, if you will. And we couldn't come up with a number and they decided, we both agreed to release me in February. And uh, I think it was the best move. They saved my career mm. because I don't know how much longer I could have endured such, such just low expectation, just, Low result. Losing, right? Losing. I just couldn't, I couldn't accept it, you know? And, and for me, that last year when I was released, I was doing my best to be part of the solution to any new regime that would come in as opposed to being part of the problem. What so, do you think, what do you think was the reason for those teams to not be more successful? It's, it's simple to me. There's no continuity. There was no continuity. I don't care what if you're running a, a, a organization like the Browns or any sports organization or any business for that matter, if you don't, if you don't have people you trust at every level, I don't think it's going to work unless you're just brilliant at the top. And I think continuity played a huge piece uh, into the inability to win games in Cleveland. But, you know, you look at some of the players who were there and went to the other teams that were successful. It wasn't the players. It was a matter of having a structure. Having, having something that everyone, you walk in and here's our structure, this is what our goals are, and let's, let's see it through. 
no one was seeing it through and it was no way to run a business. And as a, um, as a veteran in the, in the, the NFL, I realized that very early on that if I ever ran a business by watching what the Browns did for many, many years, you knew what to avoid, you know, and not to say that's the, that's the gold standard, but heck man, if you don't have any, if you don't have people that can, that, that, that have, has been there from the beginning and you keep bringing in new people, they don't understand what it takes, you know? Um, and you mentioned a word earlier, stability. And there was research done by Google that found that psychological safety was the number one factor in determining team success. So not who was on the team, but did they have psychological safety and, and psychological safety basically meant, did they have um, safety to make mistakes and still keep their job to take risks and go for it and still keep their job. And so in a, in a league like the NFL, which they always say is not for long where it is pretty transactional and guys do get cut uh, you know, at 27 years old, right? it's interesting. Like how can a team create psychological safety where people are rowing the boat in the same direction while not just having guys who are past their prime or beat up or injured? So you um, to answer that question for me personally, when I was released and the teams that I went to visit, it was the Denver Broncos where Peyton Manning was. There was obviously Andrew Luck with the Colts and it was Tennessee Titans. And for me, I security for me was going to a place where I knew the head coach wasn't under this, uh, the rest to be, to win now and to find another job. I didn't want in any situation to mirror the situation I had lived through for eight years. Insecurity, it's insecurity. insecurity. I've seen all the red flags to look out for in Indianapolis ultimately was that because you had a, an owner who was highly involved. You had a head coach who was beloved, had success from the Baltimore Ravens as the defensive uh, coordinator. Chuck Pagano was, he was a guy who was, he had dealt with cancer. You know, if you were a, a NFL fan during that, those days, you know, it was hard not to root for the Indianapolis Colts. And then you you look at you walk in the building and then you meet the people that are the equipment trainers and the 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 medical staff who have been there for 15, 20 plus years. What that told me was, okay, they have a system, they know what they're doing. These people love this place. And if I walk into this place of of uh success, this is what success looks like. That's what it looked like. That's how what I envision it to be leaving a place like Cleveland and walking into a building and playing for the Ursa family with the Indianapolis Colts. It's interesting because I think of security and insecurity and we've all been around people that are secure in who they are. And then we've been around people who are insecure in who they are. You can feel it. You can touch it. You can see it. You can notice it. I think it's the same thing with organizations. Like you can feel insecure versus secure. And, and I love watching the NFL draft because to me, one of the things you notice if you're watching closely to the NFL draft are what are the teams that are secure and what are the teams that are making decisions based on trying to keep their jobs. And it's pretty clear if you really try to follow it, like, Oh, they took this person because they can play right away or at a position that they can play right away. Or we're taking this person, even though you might never have heard of him because we're secure in our decision-making and I just think for organizations and for human beings, if you are secure with who you are and have faith uh, or optimism that, you know, I'm going to make the right decision and, you know, there are consequences to making the wrong decision and I might lose my job or I might lose my gig. If you can come from a place of security and safety. Um, and by the way, it's also up to our environment to try to create that. Right. You can even broaden this to our society. Like what can we do as a society to make people feel safe, to make them feel secure um, so that they can then go out and, you know, take risks, even think about business, right? Like how can we create security for people and give them loans, you know, small businesses to help them take a risk to open up a restaurant or whatever it might be. I think as a society, we sometimes think that creating safety and security actually keeps people from taking risks and causes them to be complacent. But I don't think that's true. I think if people are provided security, they're often grateful. So you even said like, Hey, 
I wanted to be part of an organization that everyone was grateful to be a part of it. There was a pride to the cults that you could feel. Um, that then leads to people wanting to be part of something bigger than themselves and being willing to take a risk for the sake of what they're trying to achieve. So I think it's just massive for, for all of us. Yeah, I think when people are invested into their community, they'll do more for it. If they feel like they're a part of the process, you get more in return. You know, I know we're, we're correlating a lot of this to sports. You know, there was a guy named Ron, uh, Ray Horton, who's my favorite defensive coordinator. And not because he was more brilliant than any other coordinators I've been with, but his approach was different. He identified the fact that if I convince my players that they are a part of this scheme, that they participate within this system, we're going to be really damn good. And I was on a football team who won four games and I was on a top 10 defense. And I'll tell you what he would do. The day before a game, he would call, let's say, Brian, you're his player. Brian, stand up. Or he'll tell you a week leading up to it. Hey, I want you to speak to the, the defensive room. Just speak to us. And it's like, what do you want me to speak about? Well, just tell us a little bit about you. Because we get so wrapped up in what we're doing. It becomes so transactional. We show up. We take care of our responsibilities and we go home. And it's and what he would do, he would have many guys stand up, talk about your life. Like I found out so many things about one of our defensive backs had given up his kidney for his mother or his twin brother. You know, just crazy facts about guys that I have known for three years and I never knew certain facts about them. So this whole point about, you know, with the economy and people, people, I feel like, I believe, if you make them feel like they're a part of the system, then we're going to get so much more in return. And you can put that in, you can, you know, use that in anything, business, fi finance, uh, you name it. I think that's the, that's the golden ticket. I think that's yep. the link. The other four elements that Google found in their research of what makes successful teams was dependability. So you're hitting on that. If someone's willing to donate a kidney for somebody else, like they're dependable, they're reliable. Um, but dependability can be something as simple as, you know, completing your work on time. So I think of the Patriots, their culture is really based on dependability. Do your job, come in. If you're, if you're not going to do your job, we're going to find someone else. Like dependability is big deal, big deal for them. And then structure and clarity. So an understanding of expectations, the process for fulfilling those expectations being really clear. And then the last two, I think are really important, which are the meaning. What, what, what's the purpose for me, uh, in, in doing this and then what's the impact. So, um, you know, is there an opportunity for me to make a difference? Um, and am I, do I feel important on this team? And so if you think about those psychological safety, dependability, structure and clarity, meaning and impact, you take those five things and you'll probably find great organizations have teams that focus on those five. And I think if you go to teams that struggle, they usually are lacking in some of those factors. Yeah. that's why I love talking to, to people like you, because you have the language for what people are looking for. And I think as a, as a young man meeting Trevor and diving into the mental aspect of life and how to deal with things, you start to pick up the language to help you deal with certain things. And I think a lot of people out here are looking for it. And a lot of people, excuse me, within the sports realm, they don't know what they're looking for. They don't know what they need. And all those things you just laid out makes all the sense in the world. And that's what drew me into Trevor and drew me into reading his books. And I would suggest anyone, you know, here's another book forwarded by Russell Wilson. It takes what it takes. And, you know, how to think neutrally. And it's just just a great tip uh, just for, for dealing with everyday stresses and, and, and dealing with, you know, off of, you know, COVID. We had to deal with COVID and we had to deal with, we're still dealing with, you know, the ramifications of that. And, you know, whether, whether it's politically driven or not, you know, all these different external factors that we have to deal with just waking up every day on top of our everyday responsibilities. So, uh, that's why I love talking to people like you, man. You you give you give people hope and you give people the right language to deal with whatever they may be going through. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, identity. I want to just go back. Mm -hmm. So 
you, you finish up your time in football. If I were to ask you today, hey, to quell, how do you think about your identity? How would you answer that? Yeah, um, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I tell you that, you know, and now I'm at a place now where if people ask me, I used to get really annoyed when people ask, oh, you're the football player, right? And it's just like, you realize some people just see you as a football player. Not, to, not that it's any, with any malicious intention or anything like that, but some people see you as a football player, but I'm content right now. I'm happy. I have a family uh, and we're trying to build to that family. And I have a podcast that I have and I'm slowly but surely doing the things that I feel like are fulfilling because I've worked as hard as I did when I played the game. I have the injuries to to show for it. And so it's given me the luxury to take my time to see what I actually enjoy doing. And that's a blessing that I do not take for granted. But I'm in the, I'm a very I'm very confident in who I am and um I'm not afraid to tell people what I did. I don't shy away from it anymore, but I, I you know, you get to a, a point in your life where you realize what, what the hell matters, what matters to you. And for me is I have a roof over my head. We can, my family and I, we can travel when we want to travel. Uh, we've positioned ourselves the way we wanted to live 10 years ago that we, 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 we work for this moment. So I'm very, very happy where I am. And, and, you know, it's not much that really gives me a bad day. I wake up with a smile on my face and you know what, if, if things come my way, we deal with it. But for the most part, I feel great. It's interesting. As I was hearing you talk about the discomfort that you had with being labeled as a football player, when you meet people, it made me think of my situation with my dad. My dad was a very successful business person in our community. People know him. Um, for a lot of good reasons. And so people will meet me and they'll say, oh, I know your dad, he's a great guy. And they'll start going on and on. And so like being Bruce's son is definitely a piece of my identity. Um, and it, I think early on, I maybe would be uncomfortable or not sure, like, all right, how do I even respond to that? And it's not like you, where you earned the, the right you earned this idea of people know who I am because you worked your ass off for me. It's just like, yeah, I happen to be born to my dad. It's cool. Um, but like having uh, security with that, like just being okay with that. And yeah, I love my dad. He's awesome. I agree with everything you're saying. It's great. You know what? It's great to hear you say that. Like, I'm glad that you see him. Like I see him. Uh, it, it, I'm, I'm not afraid of saying that. And I don't think I've shared this on podcasts before, but there have been times in my life where I would, like introduce myself just as Brian. Cause I didn't want to say my last name, not right. out of um, any embarrassment or shame. I was just like, right. I didn't want to have the conversation. Um, right. But now it's like, yeah, Brian Levinson. Oh, you're Bruce. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm Bruce's son. Like great to meet you as well. And, um, and then it's really nice to hear nice things about somebody you love. Oh, no. And so oh, no. for you, it's like, Hey, like to quote, I loved watching you play football, man. I love the passion you brought the intensity you brought. I love the position you play. I think linebacker is just a fun position to watch. Um, if I was maybe a little bit bigger, stronger, faster, that would be like where I'd want to play. I think it's just a cool position. All my favorite football players tend to be linebackers. Um, usually undersized. Like I like the <laughs> undersized guys. Yeah, we got um, you know, a little bit harder than the, the rest of the guys. Yeah, like I always love that. But there is something to acceptance. Yes, I am a football player. Yes, I was a football player. Yes, that's part of my identity. And what made me, why you know me is because I worked really hard, because I overcame adversity, because I stuck with it, because I was disciplined, because I was gritty, because I was uh, resilient. You could use all these words. Because I had an arrogance and a swagger that when I stepped on that field, I didn't care who I was playing against. I knew I could compete regardless of what their name said or the jersey that they had on. That piece of you that was cultivated by football. Just like for me, the piece of me that's cultivated from my dad, mm-hmm. like I want to own that and, and, and leverage that in ways to help me get to where I want to go and to help me live the way I want to live. And so I think there is like, we don't want to just diminish it. We don't want to hide from it. Right. We want to accept it, acknowledge it, be comfortable in it and recognize that Aaron Hernandez, Rob Gronkowski, just because you had success on the field doesn't mean you are, a successful human being. Like those are two very, very different things. You know, there's one other thing I want to add to that. 
you asked me a question earlier in the pod about how was I motivated? Where does that passion come from? And I forgot to mention in high school and elementary school, I was very much shy. I was very, I was very, I was a very timid kid. I was very much shy and football helped me come out of that shell in a sense when people started identifying like, oh, wow, you're the football player, right? You're, and it was like, oh, wow, people see me, people notice me. So, you know, for me, it helped me kind of, you know, obviously football has allowed me to, to travel and see things that I never would have imagined ever doing and meeting incredible people. So when it was time to disconnect, and as you say, it's like, yeah, I'm at a place now, you're right. I'm at a place now where, yeah, it's it's okay to, to be in that, you know, for people to know, okay, I did all these things, this is what I did, but live in it and not be embarrassed by it. But also, you know, I'm confident of the next chapter of my life as well, of what I'm gonna do, who I'm gonna be, people I'm gonna meet, and you're right, to leverage those relationships that I created playing the game of football, um, you know, it's not a clear path, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah. So let's, let's end with this. So I think about our conversation today, there were, there was a lot around having a plan, mapping it out, creating goals, getting really clear on what the vision is, but you just said, ah, I'm not sure where, where I'm going here. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm at peace with that. So you think about like how you are thinking about the next 10 years, how much of it is, are, have you already created a plan for that? Or are you just living moment to moment right now? Like, how, how do you think about the future and, and what you, what you want to do and, and continue yeah. to, to build on? So my plan now, because I used to be, because again, when you played, it was so black and white, right? You knew exactly what the outcome would be. You kind of knew where you were going to show, when you had to show up to different places and through scheduling and planning and contracts and all that other great stuff. Now, I'm setting small, um, what do you call it? Uh, small kind of goals, right? When I hit those goals, I can move forward. So now it's about, about leveraging those relationships that I created, you know, reaching out, contacting people. You know, now I'm into, you know, my podcast, Athletes Unplugged. You know, I'm doing a weekly show uh, for Cleveland, for the Cleveland Browns on Friday. And, you know, reaching out to locally NBC Sports, you know, just just not the opportunities that's in front of me, taking, taking advantage of them, what I've always done. It's always led me to a clear path. Right now, there's gonna be, in life, there's gonna be a clear path than others during certain times of your life. So at this point, it's not as clear. I know I'm on this road. Right. It's like you driving from, you know, from from D.C. to Florida. It's not one freaking road. You got to make some turns here and there. So I've realized on this part of my journey, being retired, no longer playing the NFL, that a lot of my choices now are going to lead to other choices and other opportunities. So as far as that. You know, again, I'm in a comfortable place as long as I continue to do the things that I enjoy doing and leveraging some of those uh, relationships I've created over the years, then I'll figure out just what my niche is. I just haven't figured it out right now. And I'm a thousand percent okay with it. I love it. What a beautiful place for us to stop to quell. If people want to listen to podcasts, where can they do that? I know you're a big Instagram guy. I like following you on Instagram to quell <laughs> has some, some cool videos and, and stuff that you can follow along and watch him drinking wine and having fun and enjoying yeah. life. Um, so where can people find you on Instagram or anything else that you think people should know about? This is the opportunity for you to promote those things and, and share them with our audience. Okay. So on Instagram, pretty much, uh, <laughs> post about my family and my son. My recent post was my son and I on a karaoke machine, one of his favorite songs. So you can follow me at, at Dequell Jackson, D-Q-W-E-L-L-J-A-C-K-S-O-N. And you can find us on my podcast called Athletes Unplugged on Instagram as well. And we're on majority of the streaming platforms there are. And right now we're recording. We haven't pushed out any new content in a, probably about two months. But trust me, I've been recording my butt off. And so we're, we, we've hired some more people. 
We've hired some interns, another producer. So we're going to get the content out as much as possible. And um, just a little bit about the podcast. We pretty much talk anything, all things sports and all things, you know, from social issues to, um, you know, WNBA. I've had a, a skateboarder on. I've had a, a Formula 3 race car driver. You know, it's very, it's very, um, it's very interesting, let's say that. And I'm having fun with it. A lot of my former teammates are on and former coaches. So uh, it's going to be a blast. And you can also catch me weekly on Fridays at the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. It's streaming on YouTube. So go check us out. Uh, it's going to be a ton of content, you know, floating your way very, very soon. But, uh, Brian, I want to thank you for having me on. And uh, I've been a fan of your work for quite some time now. And uh, I love listening to you. And it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Well, thanks for coming on. Twitter's where I like to play at Brian Levinson, LinkedIn at Brian Levinson as well. And then you can listen to all these conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast. Dequel, we'll be having a glass of red wine soon. Uh, looking forward to it and have a great one. All right. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. At the end, we came up with this laminate of all the things that you know from at the top of this peak with my contract and all the things below it with everything i needed in order to achieve this contract and i would keep it everywhere brian i would keep it on my when i would brush my teeth in the morning it was in front of me on my dashboard when i would drive i would see it so it was subconsciously reinforcing all the things i needed to do in order to reach this peak and trevor had this great saying he would always ask me do you want to be great and I'm like, absolutely. And he would always challenge me and all of his other athletes and anyone else that he worked, had worked with, if you want to be great, there are no choices. <laughs>